Coming up next, it's Natalie Cutler-Welsh with her show, Up Your Brave. Community, connections, holistic health, and more on RCR. Reality Check Radio. People are struggling to have conversations and connect with others that they don't completely agree with on every topic. And I think that's probably the biggest problem that we need to try and solve is how after all this division and after all the separation, do we end up bringing people together again? And what does unity really look like? New Zealand faces some pretty big issues. First one is COVID in the aftermath. There's no getting away from that. Second is racial division. It's been ginned up and it's dangerous. Another issue that maybe people haven't got their head around yet is digital currency. What form does that take? Is it programmable? Will it be used to manipulate behaviour and patterns of behaviour? Those questions need to be asked and answered. How can you have fair, open, democratic government by people who are appointed? It's a ridiculous idea. And if that idea is taken to its zenith, then this country is in real trouble because democracy, one person, one vote, where every vote is of equal value, has got to be the foundation of a modern New Zealand. What's true, what's not true, how our kids are to be educated. And, you know, I have a great fear for the future. I think we know from history where this could end up. Happy Friday, everybody. It's Friday, December the 8th. And you're here listening to the Up Your Brave show. I am your host, Natalie Cutler-Welsh, and honored once again to have you tuning in and listening. First off, I wanted to today start off by sending some love, sending some love for anyone who out there who is experiencing or has experienced lately some sad news or some bad news. We have got a few health issues in the extended family at the moment, and it really brings in how vital vitality is and health and wellness and how we sometimes don't realize until it becomes a little bit threatened. So I'm wanting to send love to anyone for whatever you're navigating at the moment. But if you have specifically received any sad news or bad news this week, I'm sending extra to you. In something that's been coming in to me, just in terms of the um, the study and the work that I'm doing in, in my coaching is the topic of boundaries. And it really highlighted to me a few different messages that came in from different people around how to have clear boundaries in your life, in your work, in your relationships, with your fitness, et cetera. First, you need to know who you truly are. And I thought, I think that is so relevant. And you know, I'm huge on knowing who you truly are. And a lot of the amazing guests that I've had on the show over the past eight, or is it nine months now, have uh, dipped into that topic as well. And last week, if you listened, I did wrap up the show with a little bit of homework if you wanted to do it. Um, This is something I've been doing with some of my clients in my networking club and my collaborations club, and we call it Daily Purpose Statement. This is something that I learned from the Global Evolutionary Women's um, event um, and awards that I was involved in. And they do this Daily Purpose Statement. So here's how you do it. You simply write down, every day I get up to dot, dot, dot. So that dot, dot, dot. And you just create your own Daily Purpose Statement. And personally, I think this is so helpful and 
helpful to keep you on track with who you are and your boundaries and where you're going to pour your so valuable time and energy and money. Uh, so we did this activity, and I'd love to read out too that two of the amazing people in my Empowered Connections Club wrote in. Now, one of them is Sophie Kaiser, aka Sophie K, and she was a previous guest on our show. She talked a lot about joy. That is her topic. And this is what Sophie writes Every day I get up to live a joyful, authentic, connected, and sensual life and help others to give themselves permission to do the same so that the world and everyone, the world and everyone and everything within can heal beautiful. So amazing. We I just got another one sent in that I'm going to share with you. One of my incredible and talented friends, he's also a healer. Um, he actually helps people to get rid of negative entities on their property as well as in their life, as well as other healing things that he can do to help people. This is what Keith from Directly Connected wrote. Every day, I get up eager to help others and redirect their focus so they can experience more joy purpose, satisfaction, love, and energy in their lives. How cool is that? So I wanted to just remind you or just put it out there. If you feel a little off track or a little frazzled, or you feel like you, your boundaries are a bit skewed, or even if you just want to create for yourself a daily purpose statement like this, and it starts off with those words, every day I get up to dot, 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 so that dot, dot, dot. If you want to share it with us, you can send it in. Uh, but the main thing is that you do it for yourself. And when you read it out to yourself, it feels aligned. Now, I would love to go now to some messages, some marvelous messages from some of our listeners. We've got one here from Beth. Thank you, Beth, for writing in. She says, so many takeaways from your chat with Cameron to Kapua, Nat. Very thought provoking. Thank you, Beth. And one here from someone anonymous. Hey, Nat, absolutely love your energy and positivity. Be, do, have. Indeed. And the be coming first. I get that. Be first, then do, and then have. Uh, thank you, Katrina, for writing in. Nat's interviews are always insightful and engaging, and I appreciate the depth and thoughtfulness she brings to each conversation. Oh, thank you, Katrina, for writing in. If you guys do write in, you're welcome to let us know geographically where you're writing from. We can do a little shout out. Uh, but I really do appreciate that. I got to say, I've been in business 12 years. And I said to the girls yesterday at my networking club, I said, you know, I've never felt more impactful than I am right now because of my radio show. And I honestly am grateful every day that this invitation came my way. So thanks for writing in. Coming up on the show today, we have two amazing guests and a sneak peek and a flashback all lined up for you. We're going to start off first with Faye Lawand. She is a nervous system specialist, and we'll be talking about the unexpected link between inner turmoil and chronic health conditions. Following that, I'm going to be talking to RCR listener, foundation member, and born-again Christian, Christopher Watson on the topic of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but first, the bad news. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to the Up Your Brave show here with Natalie Cutler-Welsh on Reality Check Radio. My next guest is Faye Lawand, and we are going to be talking about the unexpected link between inner turmoil and chronic health conditions. Welcome, Faye. Hi, Nath. It's so nice to be here. Thank you. It's so good to see you after so, so long. Totally. 
<laughs> For those of you that don't know Faye, uh, Faye is not your average expert. She's actually a go-to guru for smashing internal conflicts and feeling like yourself again, or for the very first time. Imagine having three burnouts and turning that chaos into a powerhouse of healing wisdom. That's Faye's story, hailing from the Middle East and having called 13 countries her home. Faye has been around the block and burnout knows no boundaries in her world. So picture this, her first burnout hits on a Caribbean island. You know the place people go to escape stress, not find it. And then the Israeli invasion of Lebanon in 2006 becomes a turning point, sparking Faye's deep dive into the world of internal conflicts. So she's not just any old coach. Faye is a trauma-informed clinical hypnotherapist, stress response regulation expert, and nervous system specialist. So she's got a lot of fancy titles. And if you guys could see her on the video, she's got tons of certificates and degrees on the wall behind her as well. Um, so she's a fan of no meds and no endless medication and definitely no hours of talk therapy. Faye is all about evidence-based methods to kick exhaustion and pain to the curb. Oh, it's so exciting to have you on the show, Faye. It's so nice to be here. And thank you once again for making this happen. Well, I'm excited to hear more about your journey. Like I said, you know, you and I know each other from probably, honestly, six or more years ago. I know we've been messaging over the years, yeah. but I haven't actually seen you for so long. Can you give us a little bit more backstory on your journey um, about, you know, how did you come to this place where you've become, you're helping so many people. You've even got this blueprint um, to help people that are going through um, hard times. How did it come to be? Walk us through it. Yeah. Um, well, you know, uh, when I was growing up at school and, you know, teachers would ask, what would you like to be when you grow up? I never put up my hand and said, well, when I grow up, I'd like to be an internal conflict resolution expert. I'd like to be a trauma-informed clinical hypnotherapist. I had absolutely no idea what that was, but it was basically a matter of need, a matter of necessity, because isn't that the mother of all invention, Right. Um, <clears throat> around the time, well, it was around, it was in 2006, uh, I was living in the Caribbean and the Caribbean at the time, uh, I was in teaching and training and I really was living the life, um, in, on the beautiful island of Curacao, which is just off the coast of Venezuela. And really it is the place where people go to escape their troubles. And that's where I had my first burnout. And for anybody who's ever experienced burnout or who knows somebody who's experienced burnout, you know that burnout isn't just about a feeling of tiredness, although that's like a very salient and debilitating symptom. Burnout really is a nervous system shutdown where everything stops working optimally and it affects your sleep and your mood and your digestion and your emotional, your ability to emotionally regulate, your ability to think. And it really is an all-encompassing syndrome. And I didn't really know what was going on. And I tried to ignore the symptoms. But anybody who's ever been through anything major, anything chronic, you know that when these symptoms arise, it's your body communicating from your mind that something needs to change, that something is not on track. And if we don't take heed of those body signals over time, we end up in a state of crisis. And this is what happened one day on the way to work. I was a teacher at the time. 
I completely passed out behind the wheel of the car and the car went spinning and ended up on the other side of the road. I passed out and I had no idea what just happened. And it was petrifying when I came to. I was petrified because of what happened, but also petrified because I didn't know what caused it and petrified about looking deeper because I was afraid of what I might uncover. And so I tried to ignore it, but you can't ignore body signals like that. These are cries coming from deep down inside that you need to pay attention and you need to course correct and you need to change something fundamentally and radically in your life. Eventually, with the help of a very dear friend, I went to the doctor to start the journey of discovering what was causing these uh, blackouts. Now, what I didn't know, Nat, back then is there's a statistic uh, that is alarming. And the statistic says that 90%, 90%, this is nine zero, of all visits to doctor's appointments today are due to unexplained causes. So basically what that means is nine out of 10 of us who go to see a doctor because we're not feeling well, we're not feeling okay, we leave without any explanation, medical explanation of what's going on. Now that's just alarming because we're not getting solutions for this for the symptoms that we're experiencing. And so- I know, can I jump in? Because yeah. I'm wanting to ask, is that, because of lack of connection between like holistic health and how things present physically. So is that a gap in doctor knowledge or, or is that just that there are so many things that people don't know the source of the problem? I think it's, I think it's twofold. I think it is the way the allopathic system is set up, you know, like how traditional, like, uh, um, you know, like GP, uh, practitioners are trained where the mind and the body are separate and you treat symptoms and you don't treat the whole person. I think that's definitely part of it. I also think what's part of it is with the way the current system is set up, when you have 15 minutes slots to see a doctor, yeah. in 15 minutes, you cannot adequately cover what's going on holistically that is contributing to the symptoms that are so debilitating. And I also think, and this is um, something else that I've come to realize in the past 10 years, there's so much evolution and development around the nervous system and nervous system regulation that a lot of doctors are really not trained in. And really nervous system regulation or dysregulation is where healing and disease lie. And when doctors are not trained in that, uh, they really are missing the difference that makes the difference in people's recovery and people's healing. And the, so when I was in 2006, when that happened, I really was seeking a solution. When, when I started going around to the doctors, it was doctor after doctor after doctor said, there's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> I'm like, this can't be. Eventually, after eight rounds of doctor's visits, I ended up in the, in the, in the office of a doctor who diagnosed my symptoms as PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and depression. And I immediately rejected both those diagnoses because in my mind, I thought, well, you know, uh, people like me who are optimistic and cheerful and positive can't get depressed. And it's impossible that I have post-traumatic stress disorder because I've never experienced anything traumatic. Now, this is crazy because 
you know, I was born in a war zone net. I was born in conflict. I was born in turmoil. And sure, I left the area of conflict early, but my nervous system from an early age was wired and imprinted on chaos and confusion and turmoil. And so it's no surprise that many years later, because of a series of overwhelming life events and life experiences, the body started shutting down and the nervous system started shutting down. And so what really started this journey back in 2006 was with that diagnosis, the only thing on offer was medication, so antidepressants, and um, working like with a, with a psychoanalyst. And it was an immediate no to the medication, an immediate no, because intuitively, intuitively, I knew that that was not the path forward. I knew nothing about what I know now, the mind-body condition. And with the, with, the, with, the, with the therapy, I thought, well, you know, there is some kind of, uh, uh, you know, merit to what the doctor was saying, that there could be a relationship between, you know, psychological stress and the body. Uh, behaving this way. So I went to two two therapy sessions only. And then I never went back because it was every time I'd go, I'd leave, I'd end up feeling worse than when I walked into that office because we're going round and round and round talking about how unhappy I was and how unwell I was feeling. And so that's that was the moment when I decided, well, if I'm not going to take the medication and I'm not going to undertake the therapy, then I need to find another way out of this that doesn't involve these solutions and that is natural and effective and has no side effects and is long lasting and cost effective and um uh, and good for me and that's when the journey started so it was very much a matter of reading and researching in order to apply to myself to find uh, relief from the symptoms that were debilitating, but it took it took a while because I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I didn't have a system to follow. I didn't have a blueprint. I didn't have a guidance. I didn't have support. So it was very much trial and error. And then eventually, eventually, when all my symptoms cleared and really like life, uh, life turned around, that I put it all together into a system. Uh, the mental health blueprint in order to help others with debilitating symptoms of poor mental health, exhaustion, and pain, so that they too can find solutions and a way out of this that doesn't involve therapy and medication or even meditation, because those solutions will not help you overcome poor mental health, exhaustion, and pain. The tragic thing is there's there'll be thousands of people around New Zealand, you know, let alone the rest of the world on a similar journey or who have traveled a similar path, why is it so hard to get access to actual information? Like this allopathic, allopathic system, I'm so done with it. I really have to say it's time, it's time has come and gone because looking at the body so separate, you know, not looking at the root causes, not looking at the holistic picture it's just ridiculous. And it really, I mean, honestly, I think all GP clinics should have a sign out the door that just says sponsored by Pfizer. Because (laughs) honestly, transparency. So I think times are changing, which is great. I think it's sad that people like you and thousands others have to really do their own research and forge their own path to find um, more whole body, you know, holistic options. So what can you share with us today? What are some practical tips or strategies or insights that you can share for anyone who is suffering from some of those things that you just mentioned, the exhaustion, the burnout? Um, Maybe it's from trauma or turmoil. Yeah. Is there anything specific that people can do 
to help them head down the path towards health again? Yeah. <clears throat> so um, if I if I may, I'll share the three steps of the of the blueprint because that may plant seeds of directions in which one can go and start exploring and uncovering what's really uh, driving the system to behave this way. Because now here's something. You know, here's here's something which is really important to keep in mind. The body knows how to sleep. The body knows how to digest food. The body knows how to regulate hormones. The body knows how to ward off disease and how to ward off viruses. The body knows how to have babies. The body knows how to do all of this. And just because it just seems so normal and so commonplace that bodies in the modern West are not doing that, it doesn't mean it's natural. It's it's not natural at all. And so, and one of the things that happens a lot when we go to allopathic, when we seek allopathic solutions is that they tend to normalize our symptoms. And for me, that's a form of gaslighting. You know, when you're not being, when your journey isn't being honored and it isn't being validated in the way that you're presenting it. And so what took me 16 years to uncover are three really important steps in overcoming these conditions. The first one is supporting the nervous system. This is so important. And when we're talking about the nervous system. We're talking about the autonomic nervous system. So that's like the automated part of our neurology that basically secretes our hormones and our enzymes and our glands and is also the part of our neurology that regulates our stress responses because all of these chronic conditions at the root of them is chronic stress. You know, we're always told stress is a killer. That's not true. That it's actually, we can get into how the um, how the uh, um, the tobacco companies actually, uh, through their corruption, made us believe that stress is a killer in order to sell their cigarettes. But right. actually, stress is not the killer. It's chronic stress that's the killer. So the autonomic nervous system basically regulates our stress uh, our stress responses. It regulates our relaxation responses. So it's super important to support the nervous system. And we can talk about ways to do that as we go on. The second step in the three-step mental health blueprint is to resolve the inner turmoil. Basically, that is root cause therapy. It is getting to what initially, what life experiences, what life events, what overwhelming experiences, what adverse childhood experiences, what traumatic experiences actually led the system to a place of shutdown, to a place of frozen response. Because without actually bringing the system out of that frozen response, we do not stand a chance of healing uh, and resolving these chronic conditions. So the second step is overcoming inner turmoil. And that's why what I do is called internal conflict resolution. You've got to resolve the inner mess and the inner chaos in order for your life to be the life that you want, one of calm and health and confidence and feeling in control. And the third step in the mental health group blueprint is eliminating chronic stress. It's not managing stress. This is one of the other myths that is out there. When you go to the doctors, they say, oh, you know, how are your stress levels? You need to manage your stress. Well, you know, 
no, you don't need to manage stress because really stress isn't problematic. You need stress. I mean, stress is a mobilizing is a mobilizing response. You, we would not be able to be where we are today if it weren't for stress. So it's not stress that's a villain. The villain is the chronic stress. It's that constant biology of stress hormones that eventually debilitates the system and creates systems to start shutting down. That's what needs to be eliminated. And part of eliminating the chronic stress is educating ourselves on the, 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 the advantages of stress and the new science of stress. Because there's a lot of research now uh, since like 2009, 2010 out of Stanford University through the work of Kelly McGonigal and her colleague Alia Crum around the new science of stress and the new stress responses and how with our mindset, we can actually channel the stress hormones that are secreted during stressful situations to produce a different biology that is more resourceful for us so that the body isn't constantly churning these stress hormones that over time can really wear down the system. So again, those three steps of the mental health blueprint to overcome these chronic conditions is support the nervous system, overcome inner turmoil, and eliminate chronic stress. Yeah. I mean, you make it sound doable, but it also sounds like a bit of a journey. Is it a journey? Is it like a a certain process and do we need to do them in order? Well, I mean, it's a, look, it's a, it's a, it's not a quick fix, but it is uh, extremely efficient, extremely rapid, extremely effective. And now because I've perfected it over the years, it's actually has become quite pale, fail, uh, fail proof. Uh, yes, it does require commitment. Uh, it does require an investment of time and energy and dedication. And usually it does not take more than three months. Honestly, not if you're doing it in a, in a sequential way and you're doing it with the right resources, the right structure, the right guidance and the right accountability. The longest I actually ever work with somebody is three months. Now, in my case, it took me years to come out on the other side because I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I was mm. kind of making it up as I go, as I went along. But now that everything is systemized, it now is a maximum of a three, of a three step of a three month process. Now, to your question about does it matter? Does the order matter? I would say yes and no. But if you want to fast track the process. I would say start with supporting the nervous system because really at the heart of all of these issues is a dysregulated nervous system. Of course, it gets dysregulated, the system, because of the inner turmoil and because of chronic stress. And of course, you want to eliminate the chronic stress and of course, you want to conquer the inner turmoil. But the fastest, surest way to do that is to start by really supporting the nervous system. What do we mean by that? What we mean by that is actually teaching the nervous system the physiology of safety, like teaching the, the body that actually it is safe. Because the only way that the nervous system freaks out and goes into these frozen shutdown states is if it perceives that there is threat or danger. And that threat or danger can either be real or imaginary. And for us in the West, now, of course, if you were talking to somebody in the Middle East, that danger is very actual. 
It is an actual life-threatening danger. It's a very real threat and a very real danger. So the physiology, the physiology of danger and the physiology of stress that is created right now in these war zones is very different to the physiology of stress hormones that is created for us here sitting in New Zealand, right? We are not facing life-threatening, uh, life-threatening situations. I would say for the most of us listening to this, um, to this uh, channel. And so there is something else going on internally. And usually it's like an emotional threat or an emotional or an emotional stress that then is triggering the same biology of stress internally. And if we don't teach the body that actually it is safe, the body will continue to be in that bracing state, in that bracing mode, and over time will go into chronic frozen, frozen uh, shutdown states. So part of supporting the nervous system is creating the physiology of safety, and that's always where I start, always. And for your listeners, whether you decide to do this work with me or with any other practitioner, I would really encourage you to start with the, the, with that safe space, creating the safe space. That's a way to really anchor you, ground your nervous system, and to fast track the process. But part of supporting the nervous system as well, um, uh, Nat, is also regulating regulating our circadian rhythms. It's regulating our biology. You know, it's looking at things like, you know, our sleep, our circadian rhythms. It's looking at things like, you know, our zinc levels, our vitamin D levels, our iron levels, our magnesium levels. Oh, it just, I'm just thinking, imagine if the government had mentioned these things over the past four years. Well, well, I mean, because because this is very cost effective. This is the thing. They're not going to be able, like nobody's going to profit from this. I know. I just had to mention that other other than you, other than us, that's those are the only people that will is us. Carry on. I just had to throw that in. I couldn't. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but also part of supporting the biology is uh, examining your relation but supporting the nervous system uh, through regulating biology is also looking at your relationship with alcohol, your relationship with coffee, your relationship with certain foods, certain allergens. And also part of supporting the nervous system is, and this is crucial, is uh, activating the inner, the body's inner calm. Now, what do I mean by that? It's not like, you know, having a glass of wine or having a bath or getting a massage or binge watching Netflix. Like those are more like, they're more like leisurely activities. They're not relaxation. What I mean by activating the body's inner calm is doing things that will quite literally shift the nervous system from a place of stress to a place of relaxation. So it's activating the relaxation response, basically. And um, and that's that's like hitting the hitting the brake. That really is hitting the brake. If stress is hitting the gas pedal, relaxation is hitting the brake. And when we get into the habit of consistently hitting the brake through our day, through our week, and through our lifetime, then there's no reason for the nervous system to become dysregulated. But what happens is that over time, there's an accumulation of stress hormones. We don't do anything in order to downregulate. Eventually, the system runs out of fuel and it goes into shutdown mode. I was just thinking about people that say, oh, I'm an active relaxer. Have you heard that term? I mean, what is an active I'm relaxer? An, I'm an active relaxer. And, and what, sometimes what that means is it's a fancy way of saying multitasking, kind of. But they'll be um, watching TV, but then they'll be yes. like also kind of scrolling on 
the social media, which a lot of people do, but the multi-screen thing, but the active relaxer, well, they're not really relaxing. (laughs) No. They're still doing something. Yeah. Because relaxation, you know, and here's the thing, like you'll know. So when we're talking about like like relaxation, that's how you know that uh, an activity is relaxing. First of all, is that it slows down that you're not using brain power. It slows down, quite literally slows down, slows down your brainwave frequencies. Like otherwise an activity is not relaxing. So this is why watching Netflix is not relaxing because, you know, your, your mind is still, your brain is still in beta, you know? Um, the other thing about, um, about a, an activity or an experience being relaxing is to what extent does it relieve tension from your physical body? emotionally and from your mind and so yes this is why like a massage can be uh for a short period of time relaxing because it really tension from the muscles but if there's still emotional tension or mental tension you're not going to reap the full benefits of a system being a relaxation mode where you're living your life with calm and confidence as a default right because you can be on that massage table Either you're passed out from exhaustion or your mind is still racing. You could still be planning your menu, planning the day ahead. You could still be ruminating. So that's not real relaxation. So relaxation really is what we do in order to relieve tensions from the body, the emotions, and the mind. And some of the most effective ways to do that are using the body. So for example, vagus nerve exercises incredibly powerful anything embodied any embodied practices qigong slow flow yoga i'm not talking power vinyasa or vinyasa like that's terrible that actually could be injurious but we're talking about like really embodied practices where your mind is in your body as you're moving your body and the energy is flowing through your body um uh, and any type of somatic practice is that's how you activate the relaxation response. And somatic practices are basically now the proven methods for resolving trauma. Because as we know, trauma isn't in the event. It's not what happens to you. So trauma wasn't the mandates. We say the mandates were traumatic. Well, I mean, they were horrible, but that's not what creates as the system going into trauma. It's how we felt inside internally about the mandates. That's what the trauma is. Um, and so somatic practices now are been proven as the way to resolve uh, trauma and to bring the body back to that place of calm and ease. Well, I think that's a, that's a great reminder for all of us is just there are so many different ways that we can bring our body back to that state of peace and calm and ease. And so for me, for example, sitting in my hot tub, I would consider that to be very relaxing for me. You can, I'm welcome for you to prove me wrong, but like sitting in my hot tub. So my body's relaxing the warmth. I love being warm. I I'm, I'm, I get really cold sometimes. So I love being warm. I'm outside in nature in my yard. So I'm like, I feel you know, safe. I feel like it's just like a sanctuary and I'm not on my tech and I'm not listening, even yeah. listening to a podcast or anything like that. I'm yeah. literally just, so in does that, would that be a good one for me? Yeah. And, and you're, you're in, you're in the moment, you know, it's, there is nothing, it's not prescriptive. Here's the thing that it's yeah. not prescriptive. And, and often I'm like, by myself, which I love as well. Yeah. 
<laughs> and it looks like different things for different people. And it looks like different things for different days and different seasons yeah. of our lives. And uh, anytime you're slowing down and you're doing the opposite of doing or thinking, that very much would qualify for relaxation because you're bringing that balance, you know, you're bringing the yin back to the yang, the youngness of our lives. And one other thing that I forgot, which is really important about activating the body's inner calm is working with the breath. But, you know, here's the thing, like working with the breath can be a little bit, um, um, uh, um, it's very open-ended. So if you work with a, with the breath in a way that is overly stimulating, you can actually be, uh, um, uh, over, overstimulating your nervous system more than required. And so my, my two favorite practices for working with the breath are very simple. The first one is actually just breath literacy is actually just acknowledging, becoming aware that your body is breathing. I mean, there is nothing more powerful than connecting with the part of you that is keeping you alive through respiration. And it's just actually the body is breathing in, the body is breathing out. Not even I'm breathing in, I'm breathing out because you're not breathing in. Your body is breathing in for you and your body is breathing out for you. And the second simple breath practice to really activate the relaxation response is uh, one that actually promotes heart rate variability and that's equalizing your breath. So as an example, you inhale to the count of two and you exhale to the count of two. If that's too much and you feel that, uh, because it could be too much, you know, initially if your breath is very shallow, two might be too much, then you go to one and one. And if, and then eventually you build up as much as as much capacity as you have without holding the breath, feeling dizzy or feeling nauseous. Because working with the breath should never, ever, ever feel traumatic. You should mm. never feel nauseous when working with the breath. You should feel really peaceful, calm, and light. And so those would be my other two practices to, to activate the body's inner calm. If you've just joined us, I'm talking to Faye Lawand all about the unexpected link between inner turmoil and chronic health conditions. For those of you that are, have been listening, I would love to know what's resonated for you, but especially I would love to know, you know for, I'd love for you to bring to mind a chronic health condition that you might have. Not everyone has one, but I imagine most people have something physical that is ongoing. Um, so bring something to mind and maybe some of these uh, strategies that Faye is sharing with us can help head you in the right direction. You can send us a text, let us know what's resonating, 2057 on the text, or email inbox at realitycheck.radio. Tell us more, Faye, about um, the inner turmoil. Mm -hmm. So we talked about maybe some traumatic event that had happened. By the way, you're the second person I've met um, who, or the second person I know who's blacked out at the wheel. I know someone else who did that too. And I'm sure there's and many more. If you yeah. think about it, if you actually think about it, um, it's an it's an external representation of what's going on inside. Things are so chaotic; they're so out of control on the inside. Eventually, that gets reflected on the outside. And this piece of overcoming the inner turmoil it, it needs to happen if you want to overcome chronic conditions and mental health issues, like without it, nothing else is actually going to take you the distance. 
You can work with supporting the nervous system. You can work with, you know, stress management. But until you resolve what initially drove the body to that overproduction of stress hormones, the body will keep recreating those symptoms for Mm. you. So let me just give you an example. So how how I came to uncover this. I mean, I uncovered this piece about overcoming the inner turmoil when I had my second burnout. So my second burnout uh, came at the age of 40. I was at this point, I had moved to Dubai. That's where I met my gorgeous Kiwi husband, and which is why I ended up here in New Zealand. And um, I had my second burnout there. I was working in a super toxic work environment, super, super, super toxic. And also, you know, I was an Arab woman. I don't think I actually, I don't think when I, 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 I don't think I mentioned to your audience that I was actually born in a war zone. And that's an important piece about uh, how I came to uncover the importance of overcoming the inner turmoil. So actually, I was born in Lebanon right before the start of the civil war in 1975. And we left the, the area of conflict early, like very early. I was uh, um, about five and a half when we left. Uh, so I didn't experience consciously the war uh, with a lot of memory, with a lot of conscious memory. And the story I always, the narrative that I grew up with, which eventually ended up being my belief system, is we left the war zone early. We left the conflict early. We're unaffected by the conflict Now, what I didn't know until much later, until I had my second burnout, is that, yes, we had left the physical place of conflict early, but those internal patterns of confusion and stress and chaos carried with me over the span of my lifetime. And I took them with me as we moved from country to country. I mean, eventually we ended up immigrating to Canada. There's no conflict or confusion in Canada. There's no war in Canada. I mean, in the 80s, it was a place of peace, a beacon of peace, Canada, right? In the 80s and the 90s. But on the inside, there was so much, so many imprints of confusion and trauma and overwhelm and uh, and chaos. And eventually it all caught up with me when I uh you know in my when i turned 40 so in my second burnout uh i was in dubai in a very toxic work environment and also i was a single woman a single arab woman living in the midst of the middle east no children a career in shambles and no marital prospects and so i truly believed that there was something very very wrong with me and here's the thing about emotional toxicity that Anybody suffering with a chronic condition has emotional toxicity. When you think there's something wrong with you, your body will will show you that. And my body ended up showing me that because my body presented um, precancerous cells. And when that happened, that was my biggest, biggest wake-up call beyond beyond the burnout symptoms to do to really really get serious about my health and about my mental well-being that summer that the body produced reproduced um produced precancerous cells was the same summer that my mother was diagnosed with cancer and my maternal aunt died of cancer so for me i knew if i didn't do something radically different my, the pathway the trajectory of my future was looking quite grim. 
So this is when I got really serious about digging into root causes, like what really causes, like really what contributes to that, like beyond diet, beyond, you know, genes, beyond lifestyle, like what tr- what really contributes to these terminal conditions, these debilitating conditions. And that's when I came across uh, uh, the subconscious mind. And I don't know about you, Nat, I don't know you know, if what you're in your journey, what it's been like, but for me in my journey, anytime something really important and transformational, uh, when I encounter something really important or transformational, the minute that I hear the word, I actually feel a resonance in my body. The first time I heard that word, the subconscious mind, I was 40 and I felt something so powerful in my body, like that holds the promise for the relief that I'm looking for. And when I started listening and digging more into the subconscious mind, it's the part of the mind that is the storehouse of all of our emotions and all of our memories, but also the part of our mind that actually runs our body, the part of the mind that beats our heart and breathes our lungs, and how the two can actually uh, influence one another I felt, oh my God, I need to explore this further. And so I um, booked in to go see a therapist, a hypnotherapist. And um, she basically did for me what I now do for my clients. She didn't do it very well though, which is why it took me so long to get better. She instructed my subconscious mind to go to the very first time in my life that is responsible for all of the chronic conditions in my present life when I was 40. And the mind is very compliant. eh? The subconscious mind is very compliant and very obedient because it is there to serve you. It actually has your back. It actually wants you to thrive, not just survive, to thrive. So it complied. It went back, traveled all the way back to the time that I was about five and a half years old when we're fleeing the war zone. And, um, this is in hypnotherapy. The mind showed me it was about 2 a.m. in the morning and we were leaving to the airport. I was like five and a half at the time. My little brother was like three. My little sister was one and a half. And it was my my father was called outside the country. Um, so here's this young woman fleeing with three small kids, fleeing a war zone, you know. Um, and the airport was about 35 minutes from home, about 10 minutes after leaving the house the bombs started bombs and snipers overhead and my mom this is this is in hypnosis my mind is showing me my mom in the memory in order to keep us children safe she puts all of our heads underneath the seats of the car now in that moment the memory in the memory is i can't breathe so the 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 body thought that it was dying it was choking and the body went into survival mode from the time that I was five, and that cycle had not completed. The, the body never got a signal that actually it is safe and the danger is over. So it kept producing and reproducing the biology of alarm and threat over the course of my life until the age of 40, until somebody told it, instructed it, that actually that time is over, that turmoil is over, it's in the past, and you're safe now, and it's okay to move on. And let me tell you, after that, um, after that uh, session with the, with, uh, in the, in the hypnotherapist's office, I completely dismissed, I completely dismissed what the mind produced, what the memory that the mind produced, 
because I thought very, very, very misguidedly that, um, you know, problems in our current life have their solutions lie in the current life. They have nothing to do with what happened earlier in the past. That is the biggest, that is the biggest load of baloney because how could the things earlier on in our lives not imprint where we are today? It took me six months actually to acknowledge that that event could very much be the root cause of all the other difficulties and challenges and chronic conditions that I was facing. And six months later, I got serious about doing the work properly. And once I did the work properly, the symptoms all disappeared, not all of them, quite quickly, actually, quite quickly. And then not only did the physical symptoms disappear, but then my life turned around, you know, I was able to, you know, build a beautiful relationship with my husband. I found fulfillment in my job, in my career, in my life. I was able to set up a business that is that I feel is meaningful and, you know, that has purpose and meaning. And I honestly feel like healthier and happier at 53 than I did when I was in my 20s and my 30s and my early 40s. And I really attribute that to that deep inner work of clearing out all of the weeds that were really getting in the way of uh, of, um, of flourishing the way that I, that I wanted my life to flourish. Yeah, so root cause therapy is at the heart of overcoming inner turmoil. And I imagine for some of our listeners, this will be a bit of an aha moment because some people will have heard of that, getting to the root cause and going going back to the early stage um, with someone who's trained to help you guide you through. And other people might not have heard of anything like that. So this might be an aha for people. And I just want to remind people, correct me if I'm wrong, that it doesn't have to be such a traumatic event that Faye experienced. It doesn't have to be that you were fleeing a war zone. I mean, that's pretty extreme, but it can be something that doesn't seem like a big deal at all, right? Yes. But your body still remembers it. Yes. And here's the thing, like a lot of people, when I share my story with them, they either relate to it or not. They say, oh, you know, but I've never lived through a war. And here's the irony of it, that even though I lived through a war, but then it was constantly, we'd go back to Lebanon and we'd get caught up in the war zone, we'd get caught up in the conflict and we'd have to flee. So this was like a lifetime of these episodes happening. So even with all of that, Nat, I completely dismissed any notion that I've ever experienced trauma because in my mind, trauma is like, molestation, rape, kidnapping, or or abuse. And of course, these are the biggest expressions of trauma. It's what I call big T trauma. Mm-hmm. But as you rightfully pointed out, uh, trauma is anything that overwhelms us that is uh, that doesn't involve something dramatic. It could be being bullied. It could be a horrible breakup. It could be experiencing what we all experienced during the mandates. It could be a financial difficulty. Uh, it could be, you know, uh, having um, uh, having uh, being in a, in a relationship with a narcissist or being gaslit. All of these will create an internal feeling of dis-ease that will change the internal chemistry and the internal biochemistry. So I suppose the good news is that it's never too late to, if someone is 
brave enough or or um, focused enough to do some work in this area. It's never too late to release, I guess, yourself of that burden uh, and and release, if that's the right word, the inner turmoil and hopefully, therefore, the chronic health condition. And that is definitely the pathway to releasing and overcoming chronic conditions is to overcome the reason why the body got there in the first place, which is basically the inner turmoil. And it is never too late because of the neuroplasticity, you know, the Mm. neuroplasticity of the brain and the nervous system means that as long as we have an, an operational brain an operational gray matter, we always have the capacity in order to change what's happening uh, mentally. So much to think about and um, some aha moments, I think, for some of our listeners. Faye, I'd love to know from you, what is one thing you've done in the past year uh, where you truly upped your brave? (laughs) Okay, it may sound, uh, it's not, I don't know how, uh, for me it was... um, it strengthened basically strengthened my uh, my internal um, uh, uh, muscle of keeping a promise to myself, which then in turn made me gave me like a sense of mental strength, and that is that I quit alcohol on New Year's Eve, twenty twenty two, and I went for uh, over a hundred days. So I made a commitment to myself to uh, not have any alcohol for a hundred days, and I did a hundred and six days. And for me, other than the health benefits that came with it, the most important part of that was saying to myself, I'm going to do something, keeping myself accountable and keeping a promise to myself, even when things were, you know, like really uh, tempting, like on New Year's Eve or like when we went to Rarotonga. But um, yeah, I just feel so much better for it. And are you proud of yourself for that too? Yes. And now now, now I'm doing a, a dry November and possibly going through till the end of the year. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. What about uh, what's on your bucket list? Anything you'd love to do, be, or experience in your lifetime and something maybe that we can help you with? On my bucket list, uh, my bucket list mostly involves uh, travel experiences and travel destinations. Uh, and uh, we're very much setting up our lifestyle and our lives in order to be to, to in order to be able to do that and to live across multiple uh, worlds. Uh, but in terms of um, something else that's on my bucket list is to be interviewed by <laughs> two of my favorite journalists, even though they're mainstream journalists, are uh, John Campbell and Ryan Gosling. I really enjoy their manner and their interview style. Is Ryan and- Gosling a, a a host? Isn't he an actor? He's the one, isn't he the one of, um, am I mispronouncing his last name? He's on The Breakfast Show, uh, the dark-haired guy. I just think he's he's got a great manner, great edge uh, from The Breakfast Show. Okay, so, okay, from AM I don't know show. if anybody in your community knows them, I would love to be interviewed by them. <laughs> okay, well, we'll put it out there if anyone knows Ryan, who's not Ryan Gosling, but hey, he can interview you too. Um or maybe John Campbell, they can, they yes, can connect John you. Campbell. Well, you know what? I would love to see um, the meet them. I did get a few of my clients back in the day onto the AM show speaking about a little bit of holistic health and, you know, a yeah. little bit of getting some of this stuff in on there. I even had one of my clients talking at one point about um, masks. This is before they did oh. the crackdown on, on masks. So we got a little bit in there. But hey, if they're, if they're open to talking to someone about the root cause of, of health conditions, then I say bring it on. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. 
Amazing. What is coming up for you in the next six months? It sounds like you're doing some traveling. What else is coming up in terms of your your business or your personal journeys? Um, and how can people connect with you online? Uh, yes. Now, thanks for asking. So um, social media is just my name, Fela Wand, across all the platforms. Um, same thing for my website. Uh, I have a, a few free offerings coming up before the end of the year. One of them actually is about a three-step guide to resolving uh, trauma, because this is absolutely key to resolving chronic conditions. I also have another uh, free event before the end of the year about decoding dreams, uh, because working with dreams is truly transformational uh, to living the life uh, that you want. And I also have in the new year, a 66-day um, um, a program to help you activate your body's inner calm. So all of these things that we talked about, which are foundational in supporting the nervous system to overcome these chronic conditions, together we'll be walking through it in a 66-day sequence. I think activating your inner calm. Well, all of those will be really, you know, different strokes for different folks, but I love the idea of the dream one. That would be, I'll be like, yep. And other people will definitely be be into the one about the calm. How do we find these? So um, my email list so maybe if you just send me uh, an email on on social media, uh, so Instagram, LinkedIn, um, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, it's just my name, Fela Wand, or shoot me an email, and uh, I'll add you to my list. Amazing. So I'm going to spell it for everyone again. So it's F A Y E. Lawand, L-A-W-A-N-D, correct? Yes. And actually, if um, your listeners would like, I actually have a 30-day nervous system well-being calendar that gives you 30 different tips, micro tips on how to support your nervous system, which is a, that foundational step that we talked about. And um, I'm very happy to make that available as well to your uh, listeners. Shall I send you the link? That sounds great. So what we'll do is you, if you send me the link, because we're obviously on the radio, we're audio only, yeah, I will true. put the link on the replay page and everyone, I will also put the link um, and on the same week that this this airs, I'll put the link on my Facebook page and that's pretty easy to find as well, Up Your Brave with Natalie Cutler-Welsh. And I'll put that on there with a photo of you and me and I'll have the link and, and that'll right. be awesome. <laughs> that's right. so generous of you. Thank you. What I really love about that is giving our listeners some actionable tools or strategies or things that they can do to implement some of the things that you've highlighted to us today. What else would you love to share with our audience before we wrap things up? Oh, I um, I just want to say, Natalie, thank you so much for the work that you're doing in the world. I think it's so important to have these brave conversations and to come together as a community to support our bravery muscles, right? Because really, I mean, the power of community is everything. And I think we discovered that over the past three or four years. And really, I think the only way that we can forge forward with the type of future that we all want is with a community that embraces these values. Well, thank you for, thank you for those um, compliments. You know, yeah. I love, do, I love doing this. I love to speak. I love speaking to people like you and I love the concept of flexing our bravery muscles. Yes, indeed. Yes, totally. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much, Faye. Is there anything thank else you want to mention before we go? No, thank you so much for having me. It was really lovely to connect with you and with your audience. So good to see you again. And thank you everyone for listening.
I hope you enjoyed that interview with Faye Lewand. It was so great for me to catch up with her again to, to gain some wisdom and insight from her, and I hope you did as well. In this interview, we talked about so many things, including teaching the body that it is safe, the all-encompassing syndrome of burnout, and how the body actually signals when something is not on track. She talked about the nervous system uh, dysregulation and how we can activate our inner calm. All of this and more. You can check it all out on faylawand.com. I'll spell that for you, F-A-Y-E. Lawand, L-A-W-A-N-D.com. And I love that she uses the same handle everywhere. So on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on Facebook, you can look up Faye Lawand, and I'm sure you'll find her. And hopefully you can apply some of that to your health and wellness as well. Welcome back, everybody. You're here with Natalie Cutler-Welsh on the Up Your Brave show. And my next guest is Christopher Watson. We are going to dive into a topic we haven't discussed before, but it is so relevant right now. We're talking about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But first, the bad news. Welcome to the show, Christopher. It's my pleasure to be here, Natalie. Thank you for the uh, invitation. Well, thank you for being a regular listener. And I know you come to our, you're a foundation member and you come to our monthly webinars. And it's so great to be covering this topic with you. For those of you that don't know Christopher, he says he's no academic, uh, but he does have university qualifications in economics, science, and business. He's been management consultant, aligning emerging technologies with various business objectives then a personal a projects manager for a large French tech before switching to private contracting and delivering information systems solutions into several organizations, including NZQA and Ministry of Health. He is a born-again Christian, which means that his worldview is shaped not only by investigative research and data analysis in the fields of economics and information science, but also by his technological and practical interest in the Holy Bible. From his involvement in local freedom initiatives, he has fought to preserve what he regards to be our God-given freedoms, not state-ordained permissions, including the sovereignty of the individual, to speak and act freely in good conscience. He's written a book that interprets events of this present age in the light of the gospel message and Bible prophecy concerning the coming Antichrist and a dystopian one-world government. Christopher resides with his wife in New Zealand, growing organic fruit and vegetables, raising backyard chooks, helping a few people who are suffering from mental health issues, and occasionally talking about Jesus, doing a bit of trading, exercising in his home gym, and in other ways, striving to live a healthy life under the sovereignty and providence of God. Welcome, Christopher. Thank you, Natalie. That last um, point about striving to live a healthy life. I had a conversation with uh, my friend um, who was a psych psychologist uh, about what health really means and, um, and and the difference between wealth and health and what's true wealth. So perhaps I could start there because well, it was a good conversation. And, of course, you know, our wealth is more than just money in the bank. And having come through the last three years, I've realized um, that true wealth is is more to do with our health, you know, the physical health, but also the mental health, uh, the number of days we've got left on this planet to make a difference, and the um, the state of our relationships. So for me, as a born-again Christian, you know, my vertical relationship with 
God, with a, a, a Trinitarian God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is is primary to the health of my relationships uh, in the horizontal. It's like the picture of the cross. You know, get things right in the vertical, and it helps us uh, in the horizontal in uh, how we relate to others. So, um, yes, the, the definition of health and wealth and so on is sort of being tossed about, and uh, it's become clearer to me as to what my priority should be in the days remaining. Well, it's obviously become a huge priority for you, such that you've written a book all about this. Um, how did that book come to be? What what was what was was there a pivotal moment that um, that sent you on this path? Well, God revealed Himself to me like uh, in, in 1988. It goes a long way back. Um, so I've had a long time to to grow in not just my knowledge of God, you know, through the Holy Bible and connecting with him through prayer and being led by the spirit of God. But um, so there's that, but also um, I've become easier to live with, I think, because of me connecting better with, with the living God. And so um, by his grace, I've, I've uh, married Carolyn. We've raised four children and uh they've all flown the nest but my marriage now we've celebrated 31 years just um a couple of months ago and so yeah i, I can go into my my upbringing <laughs> it really goes right back it's um because i didn't have a lot of fathering uh and a lot of early childhood experiences of what a marriage really looked like let alone a healthy marriage and so i struggled early on to know how to go about um forming relationships that were going somewhere. You know, I had girlfriends, but they soon realized that it wasn't going to lead to marriage. And so you know, I'd i be skipping from one relationship to another because I didn't really have much interest or knowledge of what would make for a good marriage and how I might step into that role as a husband, let alone a good father. And so it took really um, God getting my attention. And I had to hit a brick wall before I looked up. I was too conceited and proud in my own ways, and and he, he made me realise how much of a sinner I was. I mean, we're all sinners. We've all inherited a sin nature from Adam uh, as a result of what happened in the Garden of Eden, and, you know, we struggle with that in different ways. But pride can make out like it's not such a problem, and you don't notice the damage that you're doing in, uh, into your relationships and how much you can be more of a curse than a blessing to others. And so I was woken up to that, to the fact that I am a sinner and I can't save myself, and I needed to... To, to connect with someone who was supremely good, righteous, holy, and could be my best friend, and his name is Jesus. And so it was only when I uh, came to know the Lord on bended knee and connected with him, believing in Jesus for who he is, that he started to reshape me from the inside out. And uh, it's only when he pieced me together more in his image and, and with some character attributes that were, you know, like, the traits of Jesus' own character, and I became interested in in him as a role model and following him and being reshaped, that he could get me into a shape good enough to um, to marry Carolyn. And so when she came across out, out my path, I kept her waiting too long, but um, it was a short engagement and um, and a proposal and a, and, and a great marriage. I mean, the, the courting was wonderful. I never caught, courted any woman like that before because I knew how to. I, God had shown me how to to come into a relationship that was going somewhere. And so, you know, I look back and just say, that's by the grace of God. I'd be dead by now. I know I was crazy on motorbikes and, you know, living 
the sex, drugs and rock and roll at, to a point where I was down that road to destruction. And um, if it wasn't for God reaching out <laughs> and um, he chose me you know, before I chose him, but I responded to his love by faith and have never regretted it. You know, uh, hey, Natalie, I'm wondering if we could open in prayer. I mean, that's probably enough about my background, but can we commit this interview? Do you mind if I open in? Yes, in that's fine. Before we dive into the the main portion, definitely go ahead. Um, we're, we're open to that. Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity today to advance your kingdom here on earth through the work of RCR and Natalie's openness to consider and discuss the full gospel message of your son, Jesus, whose incarnation and birth many of us are about to celebrate at Christmas. We set you before us this day, O oh Lord, direct our steps, we pray, that we might be humble instruments of your righteousness and blessing as conduits of this powerful message of faith, hope and love broadcasted into a fallen world that is hungry for truth, for your grace, for your merciful divine intervention, for true peace, and for your love, a love bigger than just any notion that's been built by man, a love that covers a multitude of sins, the love of our creator, the Holy Trinity, Father, Spirit, Son, one true God, yet a triunity of three divine persons in one. So hear our prayer, O Lord, that we might step into your will this day, for you know each star in the sky and every grain of sand. You hold the weight of the world, but still we don't slip through your hands. You feel the pain of the world, but you never push ours aside. You know all of our fears, our hopes, our dreams, which we commit this day to thee. Because if I think to give up, I know that because of your love, O oh Lord, you never give up on me. Reach out to us during this interview, O oh Lord. Help me by your spirit to convey the gospel message in such a way that it's well understood. For it truly is, as the Apostle Paul has declared in the book of Romans, the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. This we pray in the mighty and holy name of Jesus Christ, our Messiah and Son of the living God. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, I think a lot of people have wanted to you know, give up or they have been looking for a savior or something in these last few years, particularly. The topic you've chosen is called the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but first the bad news. Do you want to start with the bad news and tell us, like, put things into context? <laughs> and we're sure. intentionally airing this interview um, early December. So in the lead up to Christmas, like before Christmas, um, such an important time. So yeah, put things into context for us, if you will, about this topic and specifically what we're navigating at the moment. Okay, so the book I have written, and I'm making it available to anyone in the freedom community, right up until Christmas at no charge. It's just a PDF, which is an A5 format. So it's easy enough to read on a phone, or if you prefer a tablet or a laptop. Um, it's called Save From What, as Natalie has said. It starts with the bad news that comes before the good news, and um, it's in a modern-day setting with reference to the coming Antichrist and one world government. So it's not just academic. It's not just theological with no contemporary relevance. It very much is uh, relevant to what we see coming because of what's been prophesied. And so it pays reference not just to the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also some Bible prophecy 
different passages of scripture that talk of the dystopian one world government and the enslavement of mankind that's coming with uh, central bank digitalized currencies and you know the doing away with cash and so on um the track and trace and the digital surveillance so it's all um very much apt i think and and uh, relevant to what we see happening which many other people have noticed of course it's not just being in my research and so it's important to start with the bad news i think because when it comes to salvation i mean it's human nature to not see that you need to be saved from anything until you understand there's an existential threat you know and, and that you really um cannot just rely on your own resources uh, to to get out of what's about to come and so the bad news um i won't read out the details of what's in the book i mean anyone who's interested can email me at what he see at proton.me it's w-a-t-t-y the letter c what he see at proton.me and i'm happy to send you um a free copy by email but to wrap it up there is um if i can summarize the bad news and you'll see how this is um how this is written in the book it goes right back to adam and eve in the garden of eden and i do believe that we do have you know Adam and Eve first created as the first humans. I'm not really on board and don't subscribe to us coming from apes or from fish or from pond scum or from RNA that's zapped from lightning or from aliens and so on. We we do have a creator and he created not just the heavens of the earth, but he also created humanity. So it goes back to the fall to how because of uh, what Adam and Eve were tempted by and and in their disobedience, um we have inherited a sin nature so we're all of us sinners and that's due to the sin nature that we've inherited from adam a profound character flaw and depravity of the heart and mind which drives us to commit many and various sins and to keep on sinning and we fall wretchedly short of the goodness the holiness and glory of god and for what god has purposed uh, for us to step into and enjoy and since we're not holy our sins separate us from a god who is holy and take us progressively away from God. You might have heard the term um, the, down the path of destruction. Well, there was a path of unrighteousness, of guilt, regret, inner sorrow and shame and troubling unrest. There's a lack of peace when we don't have God in our lives and we don't connect with the one who created us. But more than that, God's justice requires that as sinners, we are to be judged and punished for our sins. For the wages of sin are death, according to Romans 6, 23. And sin and holiness cannot dwell together, neither here on earth nor in the afterlife. And our fate is to suffer the consequences of our sins and perish condemned, separated from God. Um, there's a doctrine of reincarnation that's propagated by some religions, but that's a demonic lie because, as the Bible says, it's appointed for man to die once, but after this comes the judgment. So there is a judgment to come. God's justice must prevail both here in this life and come judgment day for all eternity. And if it wasn't for his undeserved mercy, we'd be destined to be one of many countless souls that's cast into an eternal uh, damnation and separation from our creator to suffer and to perish. And it, it's like God's not like Santa where he has like a list of good deeds and bad deeds. It's not like any good deeds of charity that we perform can balance the books or atone for our sins. 
No matter how many good deeds we might accumulate, they will not qualify us to avoid or even lessen God's judgment to come. Like in the court of law, it's possible there might be mitigating circumstances, but you're still found guilty and judged and sentenced. Uh, because compared to the righteousness of God, our own righteousness is like filthy rags. It's from Isaiah 54, 6. And regardless of any good intentions or noble endeavors, any charitable deeds, we're unable to save ourselves from the condemnation that's due, that's to be dealt upon us quite justly. And to believe otherwise is to be deceived, deceived by one's own pride. And it runs contrary to scripture. I mean, in a way, the pride within is our own worst enemy. It's so subtle, and yet it can stop us from reaching out and depending on on God, on the living God, or even from accepting help from others. There is this reality uh, to our human condition, and there's a reality um, to God's holy prevailing justice as well. This inherited fundamental flaw in our spiritual soul is like a cancerous depravity which threatens our entire being, body, soul, and spirit, with an existential annihilation and by our own hand we can do nothing to prevent it so that's the bad news and if it's not by our own hand that we can prevent it or escape this judgment and condemnation to come which is justly due how can we be saved from the dire consequences of our sins and from the sin nature that we've inherited how can we be saved both in this life and in the life to come the afterlife so what are so, people being but, saved from it, what are people yeah. being saved from what does that mean when it's like what does you know they're being saved okay so there is um the eternal damnation which sometimes people focus too much on you know oh, you you're preaching firestone and uh, brimstone and, and and hellfire you know but it's, it's not just the um the perishing of our spiritual soul because we can't be joined you know, to a holy God if, if that penalty has not been paid for uh, by someone. And I'll come to who that is shortly. But there's also in this life um, a lot that we are saved from. And um, I'll, I'll just give you a few examples, Natalie. Um, those who are without Christ have... No head knowledge of him, of what Jesus has done or what he's taught or what he is to mankind. They have no heart faith in him as their saviour to believe and put their trust in Christ. And I don't mean just like baptism, singing carols, attending church and so on. I'm talking about a, a heart faith where you've decided to believe and trust in, in Christ. They have not been convicted by the Spirit, um, the Holy Spirit, and are led by him into the family of God, adopted as one of uh, Christ's folk and children of the living God, and then sanctified to be more like Jesus. Um, the word says that unless you're converted and become as little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And it means to have childlike faith and to be led by the Spirit. To be without the Spirit is to be without Christ. And people without Christ are without God. Because Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so without Christ, we're without God. And they also without enduring peace. So to be saved is to be saved from trouble and the um, the shame that, that, that comes with um, indulging in, in, in what the world has to offer and, and the sins and becoming 
um, bind down to that. Like there's a bondage that comes with um, not turning away from the what the world has to offer by way of the, the the decadent pleasures of this world and to say no to temptations. You know, uh, I mean, I have to... I have a, a view that people are generally good and they generally want to have a positive impact on the world. I hear what you're saying about a sin nature. I don't think everyone sins to the same extent. Would you agree? No, but that's true. But if we compare ourselves with others, we'll soon find other people that we can feel pretty good about ourselves um, in that comparison. You know, we can always find someone who's doing evil more than we are. And sure. But we can be proud about how we're doing okay. And yes, we can have good intentions and we can have noble motives, but it's only God who can bring out the best in us, Natalie, because he knows us better than we know ourselves. And he's provided a way for us to step into connecting with them better where it rubs off. It's like the people you really respect and admire. Some of their character traits can rub off on you, you know, the more you mm. get closer to them and follow them. And that's what happens when we follow Christ. We become more like him and he's supremely good. So if you want to get um, – it's not just improving a life. It really is taking on like a, a new man, like taking off the old coat and putting on a new one. Like when you were talking earlier about um, being reshaped and, and you know, some of the characteristics and you were showing up differently in the world. Um, yeah. Is that what you mean? Like, so it's like when you, when you, the people you hang around or if you're um, surround yourself with God's love, then you take on some of his characteristics and you can't help but become a better person. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Like yeah. the difference between righteousness and holiness, I don't want to get too theological on this, but when we come to trust in Christ and believe in him, his righteousness is imputed to us. So it's because of his blood that which paid the price for our sins that God the Father looks upon us and sees us covered by the blood of Christ, the blood of his son, and, and we're considered or counted as righteous because of his righteousness and, and the blood that's paid the price. So that's righteousness, and it's connected to the justification, which is a reformist term to say that, yeah, we're justified by our faith, but it comes because of the work done by Christ, because of his love and his sacrifice. Holiness is is not imputed so much, it's infused, and it's something which comes into your character as a result of getting close to someone who's holy. And it's that spiritual connection that's made available to us, the connection with God, which is made available to us through Jesus Christ. And so it is like a boarding in experience and that you have this new life and this spiritual life which you never had before because it's a, a new connection with the living god because you're getting to uh, the holy trinity through jesus christ and, and so it's taken them seriously and so there is um there is evidence that god exists and and, and maybe you know with every belief system and there are many there are presupp presuppositions that go with it Yes, And so in my book, I've listed a few presuppositions because they're the foundation for any belief system. And if you get those wrong, then the whole thing can shake and, and tremble and, and, and come down um, sooner or later if, if those presuppositions aren't accepted and, and found to be true and well-grounded. Um, so there are some of those. And, um, for example, there's one presupposition that God exists. Now, people might have a problem with that. Some of the listeners might say, well, how do you know that God exists? Well, I'll give you some evidence for that shortly. But that's a presupposition with some, I think, very strong evidence. 
Uh, the second one is that God is one, and yet three persons in one, a holy trinity of Father, Spirit, Son. Uh, for example, if you say to any Muslim, look, uh, God has a son, uh, they, they would say, no, that's blasphemy. God or Allah does not need a son. And they consider it blasphemy that you should believe and um, and declare that uh, there is a son of God. They don't understand or believe in the Holy Trinity. Um, they saw Christians as a type of polytheism, um, Muhammad did in the early days. And so it wasn't just the Indi Indians, the Hindus that were attacked because of their polytheism. It was also the Christians who were considered to be polytheistic. In other words, believing in many gods rather than one God. So the Holy Trinity is is important to understand how it can be three persons in one and yet still one God because they are essentially the, the same, the same divine substance, and they work in unity as one, um, Father, Spirit, and Son. Um, these three persons of the Trinity are co-equal, they're co-eternal, they transcend space and time and all of creation, yet they're also intimately involved with it. And so it's not just a God that stands aloof, who's distant and disconnected to his creation. It's very much connected with it and intervenes mercifully, you know, at times. Um, the fourth presupposition is that the Genesis account of a six-day creation and man's subsequent disobedience in the Garden of Eden, termed the original sin, are historical events of profound importance. And that's another starting position. That's another plank in the foundation is the Genesis account. Of, uh, of creation and what happened in the Garden of Eden, the fall. Adam and Eve's disobedience, number five, resulted in the loss of innocence, fall from grace and a sin nature that through Adam all subsequent generations of humanity have since inherited, including you and me. There's three more. Six, that the sin nature, which is not holy, is a flaw in our human condition, which presents an existential threat that separates us from the goodness, the purposes, the wise counsel and holiness of the sovereign king of the universe, our loving creator. And that separation has both temporal and eternal consequences. Seven, that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, inspired word of God, used by the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the true nature and purposes of God, the profound predicament of man's fallen nature, and our need for atonement, and the way to obtain it through Jesus Christ. So the, the good news is very much there in the Holy Scriptures. Eight, the love well, his love covers a multitude of sins, and there's nothing in the universe which is more powerful than the love of God, who so loves us that he's provided a solution to the cancerous and existential problem of our human condition. And this he has done by way of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, his teachings, his sacrificial death. The second person of the Holy Trinity has been sent here that we might come to know who God is, his purposes and ways, what's right and what's not. Jesus Christ was born of the likeness of sinful flesh. We celebrated at Christmas, yet he was without sin. To teach us the way, the truth, and the life to live that is pleasing to God, good for ourselves and good for others. And this good news for mankind, which is centered on the person, character, and saving work of Jesus Christ, is known as this gospel message. And the last is God is good. He always has been and always will be. And so those are the presuppositions. And you, know, you tell me when you'd like me to come to what what some empirical evidence might be of the existence of God because yes well, we'll yeah well we'll come to that I mean I absolutely <laughs> agree with you everyone has you know there are so many different beliefs out there and there are so many different presuppositions um, but given your beliefs and as a born again Christian what yeah. do you see in terms of what we're all going through at the moment and and okay. I I mean we can talk about the past four years but let's 
even look ahead. What, how do you see things playing out or what, you know, what, what are you anticipating? I know I've heard a lot from the communities and groups that I'm in, you know, this, we're living in biblical times. It's going to be biblical. You know, you hear those phrases. Mm. What do you, what is your take on what we're going through and what lies ahead? Well, it's not um, pretty uh, because if we understand the Bible to be true and for Bible prophecy to give us a pretty good um, idea as to what's ahead of us and Bible prophecy has been found to be true in the past (laughs) and a lot of prophecy has been fulfilled already. But in terms of what's ahead of us, there's a tyranny coming. There's a spirit of Antichrist, which is becoming more bold. And the devil, or the prince of this world, as he's known, is having his way with a lot of people. So much um, of the last three years has been um, an exposure of how much the power and principalities ruling this world have been able to deceive us and have their way with a gullible um, world citizenry that sort of sought the best of our leaders and just went along with what our governments are telling us and what big pharma saying is best for us and what the central banksters want us to do without much question and without much challenge but there's been a great awakening and i think that's good i mean there is a there's a silver lining in the cloud yeah I, I don't like to focus on the cloud sometimes um the um the night is is darkest just before morning mm-hmm. and and also we can learn a lot as we are taken through um through some tough times uh, we can learn a lot more in the valleys than we do on the hills and yeah we're not to marvel at the evil and the enmity that is coming at us via the gates of hell and i don't mean specifically bill gates although i would say he's definitely part of it (laughs) Uh, when compared to those around and above us you know the powers and principalities of this world who are under the sway of the evil one the father of lies It is we freedom lovers who love the truth, who are seeking it and proclaim it boldly, um, who are less unrighteous, more in tune with our creator and the truth, more alive and so more powerful. We shouldn't underestimate how much power we have when we seek the truth and declare it. The truth is like a lion. I mean, you don't even have to defend it much. You just have to let it loose. (laughs) So part of my book is to let loose some of the truth that's come out from, from my research. I mean, a lot of other people have done research, of course, as well over the last two or three years. I've had the time to do so, and I've I've dumped a lot of those findings into um, into a book with a lot of links through to source material. I mean, I've got links in the back. You'll see in the bibliography in that to um, over a hundred, probably two hundred um, websites and, and truthers and blogs and so on. So I've but I've not just been caught up in, in theories um and, and that don't have any substance or or, or grounds uh, that are solid um yeah i've learned how to learn in, in the seven years i've been at university i know how to research i know how to get corroborate corroboration with the various sources of data to make sure that there's witnesses uh, that can verify you know what's being claimed and, and to look at the empirical evidence beneath it but yeah the gates of hell will not withstand those who love the the truth who love the way the truth the life and the light of this world that has overcome the darkness. And Jesus Christ is pivotal in that for me, Natalie. I mean, I've said already he's the way, the truth, and the life, because it's it's the truth, his truth, that sets us free from the devil's deceit and bondage, which is prophesied will come more and more. And it's that deceit which 
it can be a real problem for us. We don't realise the psyops and, and and how clever they are at times. The latest one, for example, I mean, we, we're aware now of the psyop around the scandemic, but there's been others before, you know, the 9-11 um, psyop. Uh, people are taking that more seriously now and questioning a lot of what happened um, there around yeah, that and what feared. Um, so it goes back to that, but also ahead of us. You know, there's likely to be a, an alien invasion psyop or threat of one. I mean, it's in the interests of these powers and principalities controlling the world that they keep us in fear. They, they feed us all this fear porn and expect us to indulge in it. And it's our role not to indulge in it, not to be caught up and and um, and misled and conned. And the latest psyop, we, we talked about this on Sunday, um, the so-called holy war. I mean, that Russia-Ukraine uh, Russia, um, war was, was a bit of a psyop. But this latest one is designed by these very clever fourth dimensional chess players in the, the echelons of power of this world to lead us into a divide and rule um, situation where we're at each other's throats and less likely to be at their throats. It's the old Marxist ploy out of the out of their game book, uh, the, the, the playbook of, of Marxism, but even goes back to the French Revolution and so on. If you can get the populace, the people, to be at each other's throats, they're less likely to come over the wall, aren't they, at the um, the, those, the ones in power, the elite? Absolutely. And thank you for your comment on the webinar. I remember it. And as I said, and I've said multitude of times, um, if we have a population that is sick, scared, or stressed, they're much easier to be controlled. And that's exactly what's been going on, not just the past four years, probably the past <laughs> hundreds of years in the lead up. And it will continue. So I love what you were saying about the truth is like a lion and it's time maybe to let loose the lion. More and more people are seeing more of the truth. Um, but I think a lot of people are still quite oblivious. Yeah. So the awakening has to um, continue. And there are a lot of masses who still sit in front of the six o'clock news thinking that the more they do that, the better informed they are. Well, really, the better deceived they are. Mark Twain um, was one who said... Um, yeah, if, if we if we don't read the newspapers, then we're uninformed. But if we do read them, we're misinformed. And I think in a modern day setting, you know, if, if you watch the mainstream media, and RCR people, yeah, and listeners are well aware of this. Uh, uh, we haven't watched TV here in this house for about three or four years, and we go onto the internet and go searching for our own news feeds. Yeah, you know, but there are a lot of people who don't search for their own news feeds, and of course, the news feeds choose them, don't they? If you don't choose your own news feeds, then the mainstream media and their their owners uh, in the echelons of power will find their way to to lock you into their narratives, and so it's important at the outset to go searching for the truth, to love the truth, to go searching for it um, in unorthodox um, news outlets. And there's so much opportunity now with the internet to be able to go looking for honest reporting and investigative journalism that can be often citizen journalists rather than ones that are, you know, waiting for the next pay packet with um, some uh, network um, operation. And so the one world government is come coming. You know, it's, there's a personification with an Antichrist ruler who was set up his throne in Jerusalem, which is interesting, given what um, Netanyahu and his government have done with uh, Pfizer making a lab uh, a live lab of the whole country for Pfizer. And, you know, if we think our mandates have been bad, they've been a lot worse in Israel, and there's been other stuff going on there, which is 
is inviting in really um, the, the, the dystopia of a one-world government. The central banksters have got a lot to um, to, to, to use um, to bring us in line with their agenda as well. So the book does identify a lot of agendas, not just the agenda to control our health and our sickness, frankly. Um, Pfizer, for example, sell drugs to, to help with myocarditis. So, you know, they're getting money both ways, aren't they? They they cause it with their mRNA jabs, and then they make more money out of um, uh, hospitals buying their products to help deal with the adverse effects. So that's just one example. So the one agenda is to take control of our health and undermine our individual sovereignty, our body sovereignty. It's no longer my body, my choice. The second agenda is to control our freedoms um, with our movement, with our finances, with our ability to associate with other people uh, without being monitored. And um, so there's that agenda as well. But there's others. There's a depopulation agenda. Um, SV40, simian virus um, 40. It's been around for a while since polio when it was seen there to be contaminating the polio vaccines decades ago. But it's a DNA contamination that actually undermines and inhibits the body's natural cancer suppressing genes. So your body has a natural mechanism to suppress and to kill off its um, any cancerous cells that might become a problem. And most people don't even notice because they're killed off before cancer symptoms arise. But what SV40 does, and it's been found by the Danes to be in about 4% of their Pfizer jabs, it uh, inhibits the natural process within the body to fight off cancer. So that's why we're getting more cancers. Our own church down here has got five cancers. We've never had so many cancers before, and I think we haven't seen the last of it. It's going to get worse in this nation. Two of our cancers are coming for sure. And there's other agendas. There's the transhumanism and um, eugenics agenda, uh, trying to turn humans into cyborgs. I mean, these people in the WF, for example, Harari, uh, Noah Harari, Uval Harari, he, he is um, determined to, he calls it evolution, the next step in evolution, um, you know, humanity 2.0, to bring in high tech into the human body to make us less than human, no longer in God's image, but in his image, <laughs> like most eugenics and and people who um, play God in the science realm. There is the technology available now to use mRNA to actually instruct the body to produce certain proteins and to operate in a way which it wouldn't naturally do, wouldn't normally do, and not just the human body, and animals as well. So this mRNA technology is synthetic bio, and it's no coincidence that Pfizer's partner is called BioNTech. You know, they're, they're combining biology with technology to make cyborgs out of us, really, so that we're part technology and part human. And it goes right to the DNA. So, you know, there's that as well, the transhumanism aspects. I mean, none of this will be news to a lot of your listeners. And I, I agree. None of it. I mean, it's in the book. That's right. So, None of it's news to, to to you and me, but it it might be news to some. But a lot of our listeners will start seeing. Oh goodness, yeah, a lot of these things are all designed to disempower, and um, and that is the main thing, as you said earlier in this interview. You know, we are more powerful than we've than we've been told, than we realize, and a lot of it we've been it's been pushed down a little bit. Yeah. So um, I believe, uh, as a Christian, you know. Uh, through Jesus Christ, yeah, we are drawn into the perfect will of God, our creator. And there's no safer place to be than in the will of God. 
the will of God truly is both safe and effective. Okay. <laughs> now, yeah, often the, the enemy will counterfeit, um, you know, some something that's true. <laughs> yeah. Like the Antichrist is the counterfeit of Jesus Christ. Like he's trying to take power and authority in, in the world that truly belongs to Christ, who eventually will establish his kingdom here. But there's some pain and suffering to go through before we get there because there's a, um, a, a winnowing out of, of the uh, the wheat from the tears. So the wheat, like scripturally, uh, are left to grow with the tears. So the tears aren't ripped out early. Um, there's a parable about this where the cross followers says, um, well, should we take out all the tears, all the weeds? And, and Jesus says, no, no, just leave them there for now until the wheat has grown a bit, um, and then we'll take them out. So that's, um, there's the wheat is really those who seek the truth, who love the truth, and who s- seek God you know, through Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, and the tears are those that don't love the truth enough to um, to really seek God, you know, and then they're just quite happy with the official narratives and they're just going along. And those are the ones that are going to end up not just being um, condemned when they die, but but meanwhile, they're going to be drawn into this uh, one world government and this dystopian rule and won't realise till it's too late. I mean, you, you know as well as I do, you go into shops now and people are just right on board with the digital cards mm. and so on whether it's PayWave or whether it's just putting in the cards, I go in with cash all the time and it's a lot lot faster and there's a lot more freedom. And the shopkeepers actually enjoy it because they don't have to add a percentage because of what Visa are charging them, for example. So cash is king. And, and, and like to step into that financial freedom you know, is important for so long as we have it left for us to enjoy because the central banksters have got other plans. They want everything digitalized with a programmable digital currency, which means they can decide what you can and cannot buy. So sooner or later, these tiers or these um, ones who are just going with the flow will go to the supermarket and find they can't buy proper meat because they haven't purchased enough lab-grown meat last week. They'll find they go to the the service station and can't uh, fill up their petrol guzzler because they did last week. Um, and so there's nothing you can do about it. You just get a decline. And because it's all digital, you don't have the freedom to pay in cash because that's been out. And there'll be temptations like uh, little carrots, you know, to get people yes. more involved with incentives. Currency. Yeah, like the UBI. Have you heard of that? That's the universal basic income, which will be digital. You'll be given a digital wallet and it would be, take a very strong person of principle to say no to a UBI when it's free cash, but it will be digital, it'll be in a wallet, and I'm sure sooner or later all the benefits will be paid by way of a digital wallet, a digital currency that the Reserve Bank will put in place, and you'll have a digital account with the Reserve Bank to get your benefits. So anyone who thinks they're on a benefit and doing okay, watch out. You'll have some hard decisions to make as to whether you jump on board with that and go with the flow, whether you try to use other ways to um, to trade, you know, whether it's cash or whether it's bartering or whether it's gold and silver, silver coins. So there's it. obviously a lot of um, challenges ahead, you know, potential pitfalls for people or opportunities to stand their ground or whatever the case may be. Yeah. What do you think, um, what are some things that we can do to support us on the, as we move forward and as more things come our way? Okay, so the last two chapters of the book cover that. There's a lot we can do there to protect our privacy. Don't take your privacy for granted as though, you know, you've got nothing to hide. And so, well, you don't have to be concerned about um, privacy, whether it's a VPN or whether it's um, 
getting a DNS address that's in Europe somewhere or using fake GPS for your phone. So people think you're resting up in Queenstown, you know, about to go skiing rather than where you actually are. Now, this might seem to be um, dishonest to some, <laughs> but I'd rather protect my privacy and have no one snooping around trying to build a case against me because like the the old KGB, I mean, their, their motto was like, Give me the man and I'll find the crime. Now, it's no longer yeah. give me the crime and I'll look for suspects and then see if there's any evidence, you know, alibis, et cetera, as to whether they're involved or not. No, it's the, it's the other way around. If they decide for political reasons that they want to take you down, they will. Look what happened to Glorivale or like to Nick Farage um, or to um, McCola and so on. They debanked them. Can you imagine what it's like? Natalie, to be able to um, to to not have a bank account now, given so much is digital. I mean, all the wages are going through digitally. I mean, to a bank account. If if you were told by your bank tonight that no, um, they didn't like what you've done, you've you've breached their terms and conditions, which they updated just last month. So um, too bad that you didn't read them. And so um, they are cancelling your bank accounts. Glorivale had their, I think something like eighteen bank accounts of the BNZ cancelled. Now they're going through the courts, and there's a stay on that. You know, there's um, there's an interim injunction that, um, but but that's not over. And if that can happen to them, um, it can happen to individuals. It happened to those supporting the truckies in um, Canada uh, when exactly um, Trudeau and his right hand Nazi decided to um, the second in charge decided to take down those who supported the truckies over there. You'd be familiar with that. I am familiar with that as a Canadian Kiwi. That's right. They froze the bank accounts. For those of you that are listening, we'd love to hear your thoughts. What is resonating for you in terms of our conversation today about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And we're also talking about a lot of issues in the past and things that lie ahead for us during this time we're navigating. What is resonating with you? You can send us a text 2057 or email inbox at realitycheck.radio. Hey, are you... <laughs> Christopher, before we go to the four questions that I ask my, all of my amazing guests, I'd love to know, what do you value most in life? Well, um, if I can start in the negative, I, I find the pleasures of this world, Natalie, to be generally fleeting, <laughs> often hollow and less than satisfying right. and often unfulfilling. So, I mean, it, it may be because I've come through life, but you know, I'm a bit longer in the tooth. But what I value most is my relationship with God, which which I strengthened by reading the Bible, praying and through Christian witness and demonstrating my gratitude uh, in other ways for his favor and, and my love of Jesus. And that helps me in the horizontal as well, um, the more I connect with him well in the vertical. Um, and so God's demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we're, we're still sinners, Christ died for us. The least we can do is demonstrate some love for him in return. And so my love with God in the vertical through Christ strengthens my relationship with others in the horizontal. And like I said before, it's the picture of the cross. And I've taught my children that the keys to successful living are not popularity, social status, lots of money, uh, or even good health, but faith, hope, and love. Because yes. without faith, it's impossible to please God. And without hope, we have no anchor for the soul. Without love, we're like a clanging symbol, you know, more of a curse than a blessing to others, no matter how much knowledge we might have because knowledge puffs up love edifies so the greatest of these three is love faith hope and love and god is no man's debtor 
So I find that the more that I return, even just a small portion of his love shown towards me and um, towards him and others around me, the more I'm drawn into his kingdom into what I call our happy place. The kingdom of God is defined in the book of Romans is not food or drink, but righteousness, peace and joy in the spirit. And so the pathway into God's will, peace and true joy is via the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And, um, you know, the pleasures that Christ gives his followers, myself included, is something solid, lasting, steadfast and substantial. And not at all dependent on wealth, health or any circumstances, really. And, you know, it's through our love of Jesus and his faithfulness that we come to enjoy the peaceable fruit of righteousness and the joy of the spirit. So that's what I value most. Natalie, my happy place, the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace and joy in the spirit, true wealth. Amazing. And and you've gone through a massive transformation, of course, um, with this. And what is something you've done in the last year specifically where you've truly upped your brave? Well, I've written a book and it's actually been good therapy because you know what it's like to have all the stuff that the tyrants have been sending your way in your head and you can't stop thinking about it. Well, it's like they've got real estate up there and they're not paying rent. <laughs> so what, what I found helpful is to put a lot of what I've observed and what I've researched and, and found to be happening you know, as I look behind the veil into a book. So I've dumped it in a book and it helps me to relax a bit more about it because you know I put it in writing and it's there for people to consider to discuss to give me feedback on and so on and I'm making my ebook this is uh, at, at no charge for those of you listening who are freedom loving Kiwis wanting to do their part in setting other people free friends and family who you love enough to want to do so mm. and because the book's foundation is the full gospel message it makes for a good Christmas gift you know there are many people in this nation too many who have are still ignorant as to who Jesus is, as to what he's done and why. And we're about to celebrate Christmas. It's got his name in it. It's the greatest story ever told, uh, involving a lot more than one man merely coming into the world and then dying on a cross over 2000, a little over 2000 years ago. Jesus Christ is so much more than merely an historical figure. He is divine and death could not hold him down. He rose again and ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven. He's interceding for us now and with great plans and divine purpose for each of us. If only we'd pause our humdrum routines to read about him and seek his presence and power. And so the second part of the book, after the gospel is explained, is interpreting recent events, the scandemic, central bank moves to remove cash, the WHO treaties, etc. It examines those and interprets them in the light of the gospel message and Bible prophecy. The last two chapters provide some good tips and traps when it comes to exposing and opposing the tyranny that's on our doorstep. Um, and in preparing preparing to survive and thrive in the months and years ahead. So there's some good tips in there. I'd be interested in people's um, feedback. Well, there's a lot thank of websites you. in there that other truthers are you know, doing some great work in. And I'd be surprised if people reading the book don't um, aren't already aware of many of them. The email, again, for people to either um, send me a, a note, and I'll reply with the book attached, is wattyc at proton.me, W-A-T-T-Y, the letter C, at proton.me. So I I welcome your um, interest in this and please uh, take up the offer. I think so too. And if people can't remember that email address, you're welcome to send us a text 2057 or email us inbox at realitycheck.radio. We can send you Christopher's email address. Thank you, number one, for all the research you've done. I can tell just discussing things with you you are very well researched on a range of topics, and I think it's quite unique bringing together this um, 
the perspective with Jesus Christ, which obviously does not get talked about a lot in mainstream media at all. Um, and then bringing together that with what we're all going through at the moment and how it all interrelates and providing some solutions for people. So thank you for that. People can reach out and get your free ebook. What about your bucket list? Is there something you would love to do, be, or experience in your lifetime that we can help you with? Um, yeah, I'd like people to read the book and then decide which three to five people or whoever um, you know that you'd like to forward on to, perhaps as a Christmas present. I mean, if, if I can get the good news out to people who need good news, we've had so much bad news in the last few years, then, yeah, I, I, I'm happy to be a part of that and for you to also be a part of it. So that's something that you could help me with. Thank you. Okay. Spreading the word by spreading the word. What else is coming up for you in the next six months, either personally, like are you going on a holiday or any other projects or books you're working on? Uh, we've got Christmas with family coming here. And then my wife's uh, on a one-week holiday at the moment. She's worked hard this year. She's in the garden centre, which she loves. Um, a one-week holiday? That doesn't I, sound very long. Well, look, I, I don't think she'll mind me telling you this. She, um, we, as a matter of principle, decided not to take the shots. And she lost uh, her job. Well, I say lost. We know exactly where it is. It was stolen from her uh, when she was yeah. teaching. And so she's sort of um, revamped um, her interest and objectives and, and did a horticultural course. Now she's um, working in a garden center and she loves it. So, Amazing. you know, God can bring some good out of anything bad. And look, darkness ten tends to come in on horseback and, and leaves on foot. Uh, to quote an old theologian, yeah, it's upon us before we even know it's coming off it, and then it lingers. It doesn't leave us for quite some time. But look, when the days of darkness next come upon us, and there are more coming, let us remember this, that some lessons are never learned in the days of sunshine. And it often takes eyes of faith to see the opportunities that problems bring, that what appear to be problems, they could be opportunities if we look at them with the right perspective, you know, and say, this is also for my prophet that I might draw nearer to God and partake of his holiness and be more of a blessing to others. So mm. it's an opportunity to connect better with, with our creator. And he is still in control. He's sovereign. And, and, and his lessons are sent in love. And, you know, we're in his school if we choose to pay attention with his instruction designed to grow our character to be more like Jesus Christ, who is the perfect image of the invisible God and our perfect role model. So, Let's look at, well, we could say the glass half full, but really it's looking at problems and turning them into opportunities. I mean, I've taught my children, hopefully, how to do that rather than just, you know, cozy up to self-pity because he's not our friend. He might make out he is, but he's not. He causes all sorts of trouble. So it's turning problems into opportunities and there's more darkness coming and we need the light of the gospel. We need to connect with the living God because He's our saviour, not just in the afterlife, but in the days to come. Well, that's a great message. And also, I love what you said earlier. We can learn a lot more in the valleys than on the hills. Yeah. So I love that as well. Anything else you'd li like to say to our audience before we wrap things up? Uh, not really. But if, if you're OK, since we started in prayer, I'd like to close the loop and just a short closing prayer, Natalie. Yes. You open to that? Yes. So thank you, Father, for this opportunity today to convey to others in my own clumsy way the precious gospel of your precious son, whom you sent here over 2,000 years ago to declare your righteous ways and pay the ultimate price for our sins, that we might be forgiven and spiritually connect with you in ways that bring out the best in us. And then when our portion days here on earth are over, to be joined in holy matrimony to Christ for all eternity. 
Meanwhile, here we are, O Lord. Use us according to divine plans and purpose. We commit our lives afresh unto thee. Hear our prayer, O Lord, Father, Spirit, Son, that we might step more completely into your will and explore more fully your gospel message, that we might convey it to others in ways that are well understood and impacting. For it truly is, as the, uh, the Apostle Paul has declared in the book of Romans, the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. And please, O Lord, convey a blessing on RCR. We thank you for their ministry into this nation, and more specifically for Natalie and her program. Almighty God, you are no man's debtor. Grant her a special blessing and favour this week that she and others around her have little doubt that it's supernatural, a blessing indeed that has come from our creator and living God. Continue to use her according to your overriding plans and purpose, we pray. This we ask in the mighty and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Wow, thank you so much. Thank you, Christopher, for joining us today and sharing your wisdom and your insight with us. My pleasure, and thank you for the opportunity. Have a great week, Natalie. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Huge thank you to Christopher for coming on our show as a listener and sharing some of his thoughts, his insights, his wisdom. Thank you for listening as well. In this interview, we talked about Bible prophecy, the Great Awakening, connecting with Jesus and being reshaped, and how truth is like a lion. And as Christopher said, let loose the lion. You can contact him on watyc at proton.me. And the song that he's chosen is Johnny Cash. This is his song, Hurt. And Christopher says, all of us eventually leave this world with nothing but our faith, hope, and love for God and for one another. Here it is, Johnny Cash with Hurt. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Welcome back to the Up Your Brave show. If you've just tuned in, we've had two incredible guests this morning. We started off with Faye Lawand, and we were talking about the unexpected link between inner turmoil and chronic health conditions. And next, we talked to Christopher Watson, all about the good news and the bad news and Jesus Christ. It's very interesting indeed. And now at this point, at this point in the show, I sometimes like to do a little bit of a flashback followed by a sneak peek. So the flashback that I've chosen is an interview from a few months back with Tessa Livingston. She is a voiceover artist. And my goodness me, when you listen to that, she has this, she has such an incredible voice, so powerful. And um, she can do a lot of different voices, but in this one, she's just using her own voice. She's talking about trusting your authentic voice and mental health awareness. Here she is, Tessa Livingston. You can listen to the whole thing on the replay page. Do you think a lot of people are not using their voice the way they should be? And yet that can be in a in a career capacity or just in a speaking your truth capacity. Uh, absolutely. It's um it's an extremely difficult thing to do. It's not a thing that we ever encouraged to do. If you think about us as children, we you know, we start at a very early age being told to shush if we're being too loud or, you know, or to um oh, what's the uh, that uh, that old favorite? Um if you have nothing nice to say, don't say it at all. You heard that phrase before? <laughs> you know, that's what we all grew up with and it and it encourages us to change and manipulate our thoughts and feelings and the way that we express ourselves at a very, very early age. So and absolutely, especially over the last few years, people have been not necessarily squashed vocally, but they're but their person has been squashed, their surroundings have been squashed, and as a direct result of that, the voice goes as well. You know, it gets um, it gets physically hard to say what you want to say or what you need to say because you haven't been given the grace to do so. It gets really, really hard. 
Squashed is an interesting word. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I definitely feel like that. I definitely mm. feel like, you know, squashed or quashed or pushed back. These are words I use for myself or yeah. I've had, you know, barricades put in my way. Uh, you know, I've been shamed and bullied. Like those are all the words that I've had. And I think a lot of people can resonate with some of those words, but definitely being squashed um, mm. in some way or squeezed into the corner. Like we listen, if you don't have anything that, if you don't have anything to say, that's along the lines of the narrative, don't say anything at all is almost yep. how we've been told. Yeah, absolutely. And it gets it, every, every time that happens, it gets harder and harder to, to do it again. And also in, in that there's also a way of learning how to communicate authentically that actually isn't going to, you know, like to get other people's backs up or to maybe actually feel confident in your own authentic voice without actually having to say stuff out loud. We have internal voice and external voice and there's nothing wrong with feeling confident in your thoughts and feelings internally and not having to share them externally. That's actually just, as, I, I find that's actually just as powerful as being able to do both, um, you know, feeling so okay with the, the thoughts and feelings that you have and letting them resonate in you. And actually, I find that that helps to release your voice later on because you've really decided for yourself what's important to say out loud and what isn't. It's quite That's been an interesting journey for me over the last three years, deciding where my voice is needed and where my voice is not. And almost like conserving myself to be like, no, I feel confident in what I'm thinking. And I'm going to keep that internal space and that internal strength for me. Because if I, if I use it out loud, my external voice might be shut down and then my internal voice will start to feel shut down. So that's been an interesting journey as well. I love that you highlighted that. I hadn't really thought about that in that way before, the internal and the external. And I mm. think for a lot of our listeners, that will be a sense of relief because I imagine a lot of people feel like, oh, I really should, you know, quotation, I really should speak up or I really should mm. say a little bit more. I really should be a bit more challenging mm. rather than keeping it all inside. Well, I feel like there's something energetically with your frequency. If you feel at peace with your views and the voice in your head, and you really feel in tune with that, uh, that's powerful. That is powerfully going to affect things ener anyway, even if it doesn't come out your mouth. Is that true? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you're now operating on your own frequency of, you know, that whole, um, if you see somebody living by example, even if you don't know what that example is, you can see them feeling being at peace with them, with with themselves, and you feel more gravitated towards them. You feel more comfortable around them, whatever it is. We've all had that experience of our our internal voice saying something, like we're feeling uncomfortable about something, or you know something's getting our back up, or whatever it is. And then we go to speak, and this voice comes out that just sounds completely like this, and they and they don't and they don't match. Or what, you know, what would have, why did we need to use that external voice? It's okay for that internal voice to go, oh, yeah, that, that feels yucky. That feels awful. I really, really don't like that. But I feel at peace with me and my sense of this. If I share this out loud, something is going to, you know, something might come back to me in a frequency that I don't want because it wasn't an authentic frequency for me to share at that moment. Mm. Not saying that we shouldn't stand up, not, not saying that we shouldn't speak out and um, and share our truths more, but there's also great value in knowing your own truth and keeping that for you. Mm. It definitely, that's so that's so important for people to realize and to give themselves, you know, permission to not feel like they have to speak. But when they do feel compelled, go for it. Mm. Um, there are certainly ways to say things. I know that sometimes my sister told me, you know, sometimes when I'm, I get so excited about things that she's like, oh my gosh, like you don't have to attack me. And she, I was like, no, I'm mm. not attacking you. I'm just like feel really strongly about this. And um, 
and to be fair, you know, she has been on the receiving end of a lot of my thoughts um, mm. over the past three years. And um, it's good for her to be, feel free to say, I feel like when you, you're, I feel like you're attacking me. And she literally puts yeah. her hands up and makes this, you know, defense position. Yeah. Um, but of course, not everyone's going to, you know, she's my sister. She can say that, but not everyone's yes. going to have someone that will say that. So it is good to be aware of how we come across. How do you strike that balance, right? Of being aware how we come across and making it palatable versus being our true authentic self and really expressing how we feel, whether that's what they want to hear or not. I think it's taking the time to sit and breathe. And it sounds so stupidly simple. And it's because it is. But it's also really, really hard to engage with. We often get these, like like you said before, these senses of should or these senses of I have to speak up about this. Like if someone has an opinion about something that you're like, I absolutely fundamentally disagree with that. And that nearly that feeling of should or have to comes up. Actually, if you can have a think about what value your words are going to have in that moment, it'll give you an understanding as to whether you should or shouldn't, I think. There's, I think if you can look at the intent behind your words mm. and then look at the effect they're going to have, well, if my intent is to either uh, tear down your opinion or make you change your mind, those two intents probably aren't very helpful for the energy and the frequency of the room, right? Because if you throw those things out there, you're going to be met with the same frequency. No one is all of a sudden going to go, oh, yes, I agree with you now. <laughs> you know, that that doesn't happen like that. So I think un- when you're in rooms and situations like that, understand what your intent is behind your words. And I think that's a step that people don't take. Why are you saying what you're about to say? What do you want from what you're going to say? And actually, if you can take a moment to just breathe and go, oh, that I didn't like that opinion and it made me upset and I wanted to hurt that person or I wanted to shame that person. You know, these are pretty big feelings and we don't always accept that actually that's what we want to do to people in moments like that. If we can take a moment to sit and breathe and go, actually, if I say that, the value of this is it's going to do that to that person and I'm going to get this back. It's probably not worth saying. Mm-hmm. So it's worth to just sit and and feel okay with being upset. You don't have to challenge everybody. I hope you enjoyed that flashback with Tessa Livingston. And now we're going to do a sneak peek. This is what is coming up for you, the full interview, next week here on the Up Your Brave show. I am going to be talking to Craig Reynolds on The Miracle Unfolding. And I'm sharing with you now a little five-minute clip, and we're talking about the integrated version of humanity and how, in his view, COVID was, in a way, a bit of a great unifier. That and more. Here's a little bit of a sneak peek. There's a vision from the future that I'm getting that's sort of downloading, and it suggests that in the future, in the not-so-distant future, I believe, you know, humanity's gone beyond the illusion of this physical reality and our circumstances being the only game in town. Uh, the dramas, the polarizations, the judgments, the hierarchies, we realize there's way more than that. And there's almost like an obsession or a hunger to seek more, to go beyond, to keep growing and developing. That's the primary objective that we, uh, I believe, will we'll start to focus on in the near distant future. Um, in addition to that, we're really seeking a richer, richer magical, more sort of extraordinary experience of life. But it's not so much for ourselves. It's more about those we impact, how we can unify and bring people together to collaborate. Um, you know, there's a there's a hunger. Um, we're learning, we're giving and getting. You know, one of the key messages I'd like to put across to your audience, because I see... You know, a lot of the people who are of service giving, 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 and not 
receiving and that's an incomplete. Because then they end up in a heap. Yeah, and there's a crash, you know, and then they get frustrated because it's like, oh, I'm giving all of this and I'm not getting what I need. So, you know, the integrated um, version of humanity that the masses will move towards at some stage, they're going to need to see really um, good examples to model. And so we've got to learn to give and get, and we've got to learn and, and and be okay with that being something that we may not have done so well. But the the real the real key is that we are going to start, and I'm seeing this with the people that I'm that I'm serving and impacting. We're going to start working with the multi-dimensional energies that really connect us all. Uh, the same energies that are beyond this physical reality that create everything that we're experiencing in this physical reality, this construct that we're experiencing life through. Uh, we will understand and start to utilize focused attention, the real power of focused attention, energy, and conscious choice. Um, but ultimately, we're just going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate this small window of time that we have on Earth. Uh, and whatever the lessons or learnings are, I, I personally believe that everything um, we have done up till now has been the preparation. It's game time. It's like we are now entering into the game. It's time to have the experience. Uh, there's nowhere to hide. Um, one of the one of the cool things I saw recently, which has been very uncomfortable for a lot of us, is that I believe COVID was the great unifier. So I know people have a lot of different perspectives on it, but when I step right back out, what I realize is that for that period of time, most of humanity in the world were aware of COVID and had some singular focus towards that. Mm -hmm. um, once we got that awareness, we all separated off into our own groups of our own belief systems and our own um, you know, polarities and, and, and became separate around it. But there was a unification around that topic. I believe that was probably the catalyst that, that connected the conscious, the collective field at another whole level. What I observed is that when the, when the recent um, shenanigans kicked off in the Middle East, I observed in the week after that, a lot of people, I'd say 95% of the people coming into my office were in a very low energy state. Um, there was like a defeat. It was like, oh, not this again. And what I saw there was for the very first time that there was like a unified response to something that wasn't happening in our back doorstep. And it really reinforced to me that that unity that was created, that singular point of focus that COVID created, was now starting to express itself through other areas where people were en masse focusing their attention. Now, what it did is brought us into the, some of the lower energy states or the lower stages of healing. So people will have noticed over the last month or two that there's been a lot of physical, mental, and emotional upheaval, quite a lot of instability. Um, there's been a lot of serious illness. There's been a lot of breakdown in those areas. And I believe that's part of the breaking down of the collective field, um, bringing the collective field to a point of surrender where we realize that we can't go on like this anymore. And as we start to do that en masse, I believe we're going to see uh, the transformation, this shift uh, truly unfold. I believe we're in the shift now. It's not a theory or a concept anymore. Uh, we're starting to see it unfold. There's a few uh, things that need assembling in the average person in order for them to really step in and experience the magic of this, uh, the magic of living in what we might call a multidimensional way where we're starting to tap in 
and understand that we are not just this physical being, but there's more to it than that. And, you know, some of the work that we're doing, um, any sort of integrated practices, uh, anything that brings awareness and consciousness to people um, where they take more self-responsibility and are able to see beyond the programming, these are the sorts of strategies that are going to bring people um, online and start to realise that there's this whole other game that's available for us to play if we just know the rules and understand how to tap into that. What I want to achieve with RCR is conversation. And I think we have lost the art of conversation. With RCR, I just hope that people can learn that we can all be different, we can have our own opinions, have our own views, and have those conversations in a respectful way. Because respect needs to be given, it needs to be earned, and I think that we can prove that people of all diverse perspectives, ages, opinions, can have a platform, and we can work and talk together, and so that's what I hope we get to achieve with RCR. Just independent thought, alternative thought, and I I expect that I will be castigated by many people for offering different opinions but you know as I've said before there is no such thing as a wrong opinion opinions are like noses everybody's got one the exchange of views fair debate no cancelling no interrupting no aggressive responses we want to hear what people have to say whatever side you're on and the listener the consumer with that information, can make of it what they will. That is the mission. It's a good mission. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in today, for joining us on the Up Your Brave show with our incredible guests, our sneak peek and our flashback and some amazing music as well. Speaking of music, uh, as you may have heard me talk about... I love to start new things. I'm definitely an activator and I definitely don't believe in perfection. So when I told my kids I was going to teach a dance class, a dance fit class at the local community hall, which I hired, they thought I was joking, but I wasn't. And now I've done two classes and I got to tell you, it was so much fun. And I really, if this encourages you in any way to follow any dreams or ideas that you have that light you up, that fill your cup or things that you've always wished you'd done, but you don't have time, whatever. I think time is really a reflection of priorities, personally. Happy to discuss with you. Uh, But if this encourages you in any way to follow something that lights you up um, or that you feel drawn to, even if it doesn't make sense, then I encourage you to walk that path. And doing these dance fit classes has been hilarious, first of all, and actually really good for my cardio, which was part of the goal, to have fun and to do fitness. If you've got any song requests for me that you think I should add to my playlist, um, let me know. I teach them some interesting moves like the robot and the Wonder Woman and, and other and <laughs> other cool moves. And we even do some Jane Fonda inspired um, arm Seg- arm segment, which you feel the burn, feel the burn. But if you have any um, songs, definitely write in. You can send me a text, 2057. Um, also, you can follow me if you want to on Instagram, up your brave underscore, and on Facebook, up your brave with Natalie Kettler Welsh. I would love to see some comments on my page or just connect with you in that way. And also, we would love to hear what is coming up for you as December, you know, carries on as we head towards 2024. What is something that you would love to create or something that you're calling in in 2024? If you want to share, let us know. You've been listening to Up Your Brave with Natalie Cutler-Welsh on RCR.
Reality Check Radio.